The scripture reading today is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 14. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose a place of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the men who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. One of the great privileges of being a dad is uh, that I get to read children's books all the time. You know, and I, I, one of my favorites is by P, a guy named P.D. Eastman called Go Dog Go. Uh, it's you know I think one of the, some of the most profound works of fiction are children's books. And um, I don't want to give away too much uh, of the ending of this book, but it's a story about dogs who are going somewhere. I know. 
It's hard to figure out here. But the dogs are all traveling, and they're traveling by bike and skateboard and skis and boat and blimp. And they're traveling, you know, and so as you move through the book, you begin to say, well, where are the dogs going to, right? And it becomes clear at the end of the book that the dogs are going to a dog party. And this is by far the best image in the whole book. Like, you know, you've got the illustrations all along of dogs on skis, but this is the one where the kids want to stop and just stare at the page. And I actually have scanned this in for you, so we're going to put this up. This is a picture of the dog party, right, at the end of the book. And it's, it's you know, why is this appealing? It's a feast for the eyes. You know, like you've got dogs being shot out of cannons, dogs jumping on trampolines, they're eating cake. You know, I mean, there's nothing... It's just, it's just a great picture. You know? And why does this image appeal to children? Why does this image appeal to me? Uh, you know, one of the things about this is this is a kind of party where you can't do anything wrong, right? There's no, like, there's no like, oh, sit down here, don't use that fork right now. There's no propriety. There's nothing you can't touch. This is just wild, raucous fun. This is like the best party ever. It's a killer time, right? And... You know, it's a kid's dream. And this passage that we read today tells us that God is preparing a dog party. The God, this is the kind of party that God is about. This is the kind of God that God is. He loves to throw dog parties. You know, and yet the setting of the story that we read today, the setting of the parable is anything but a dog party. Jesus has been invited to... Not a Pharisee's house, but the the chief guy, the top of the Pharisees, the leader. He's been invited to his house for a dinner. And it's anything but a dog party. It's it's actually, um, as as Groucho Marx said, Groucho Marx was one time invited to someone's house for dinner. And as he was leaving, he told the host, uh, he said, I've had a wonderful evening. This wasn't it. This is Jesus' experience that night. You know, he's been invited to what is the hottest ticket in town. This is the muckety-muck of Jerusalem. This is the, like, the social elite. And Jesus is invited to this party. And you have to stop and ask yourself and say, why? why would they invite Jesus to this party? What was he doing there? Why would they invite him? You know, and in fact, it becomes immediate queer, immediately queer. It's not because he was in the same peer group. Or he's close friends with these guys. They have a setup. They have a setup. They have a guy there who's got a, a condition called dropsy. And they're setting up to see what Jesus will do. And it's, they're, they're actually sort of putting Jesus to the test. Have a little fun at his expense. You know, it's not about we want to really be with him. And, you know, in a series of quick judo-like moves, you know, Jesus kind of flips the flips the tables on him. He tells them this parable of the great banquet. And, you know, we've been talking all this uh, this fall, we're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus tells a parable, and it's unlike other stories. A parable is a story that acts. It does something. It's not meant to be received. It's meant to be interacted with. You know, it's meant to say, you, what about you? Who are you? In this story, you can't just like keep it at arm's length. The way a parable works is that you're 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 one of the characters. You're one of the people in the story. And so, the question for this passage is: Do the Pharisees recognize themselves in this parable? And do we 
do you and I recognize ourselves in this parable? Let's, let's review this parable um, briefly. You know, the parable of the great banquet. You know, it's one of those stories that I've heard preachers speak about before, and they come up with things like this. You know, these guests are being trivial with God. Don't be trivial with God. And, you know, it's, that's kind of unsatisfying to me. I think there's something, there's something deeper that's going on in this story. Because it is a story about the kind of party that God's into. He's into the, God par- the dog party, right? This is a story about a, a great banquet. You know, remember the story? A servant goes out. He's sent out by the master to go invite people to his house for a, a meal, for a great dinner. And the, they're, they're, they've been given an invitation, and the day of the party comes, and he goes back out to say, now it's time. Come on over. It's Come and get it while it's hot, you know? And... That you see the reaction of three of the people in the story. The first guest says, I can't come. Can't come. I just bought a field. Now, at first, to us, kind of Western ears reading this story, we're like, oh, yeah, he just bought a field. That seems kind of plausible. But this would be like, in ancient Israel, this is the equivalent of one of you who's married, Okay. Let's just pretend that you're like, you call up your spouse and you say, Honey, I'm going to be late for dinner. I just bought a new house over the phone. And I'm just signing the check now. And I'm going to go home on the way home and and look at it for the first time. You know, the other person would be like, You did what? You're an idiot. Right? You inspect something before you purchase it. Do you hear what's being said here? This is not like, oh, you know, a good excuse. When a person in that day was invited to a nobleman's house, it wasn't a question of whether you were coming or not. It was expected you were coming. You know, you're invited to this incredible, you have this incredible opportunity to go to the nobleman's feast. You better, if you're going to have an excuse, it better be a really good one. See, in Jesus' day, you had to throw a party for the people who were in the same social strata as you, Right? This isn't unfamiliar to us. This is high school for most of us, right? So if you have a working class guy, and he begins to do well in business, and he's like, hey, I'm going to add an addition on the back of my house. I think I'll add an in-ground pool. You know, he's doing well for himself. And suddenly he says, I want to invite other guys who have in-ground pools over for dinner. And you know what happens? Is the guys who are the old money, the in-ground pool guys who've been around the in-ground pools for a long time are like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. You're not one of us. How dare you? Who, do you? who does this guy think he is? You know, the working class people invite working class people over for dinner. Noblemen invite noblemen over for dinner. Poor people invite poor people over for dinner. You don't cross the social lines. This is like many of you are, uh, like me, fans of Napoleon Dynamite. So Napoleon asks Trish out for the prom, right? And Trish is clearly social strata way above And he gets to the prom with Trish, and she immediately, what? She abandons him. Because, you know, he's a dork. She's she's one of the cheerleaders. This is high school for most of us. You know, this is is a guy who makes up a bum excuse and says, (laughs) you know, I I can't be there because I'm going to be washing my hair that night. What about the second guy? What about the second guy? You know, will you come to my dog party? And here's the second man's excuse. He says, no, I have five new yoke of oxen, and i got to go and test them. 
Now, this is probably a little bit more transparent to you than the first alibi. The second guy says, you know, I just bought a new car over Craigslist, and I think I'm going to go test drive it now. What? Nobody buys oxen without having taken them and, like, worked them in the field and, like, see if they're healthy and, like, really checked them out. This is, again, a bum excuse. You know, this is, come to your dog party, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm planning on being sick that weekend. And the third guy. And this, by this point, the servant is beginning to catch on that maybe there's something that's happening. Maybe the kids at the cool table are talking to each other. Because this guy, this guy does not even offer an excuse. Do you see what he says? <laughs> I, I just got married. <laughs> He doesn't say, hey, I can't come, or I'm sorry. He says, I just got married. What is he saying? I'm planning on being home that weekend. I'm not coming to the dog party. Definitely not spending the evening with you. You see what the invited guests are saying? Hey, we're men. We're women. Jesus, you're a dog. You're a dog. Why would I want to be with you? Now, you know, before we unpack that much more, I want us to think about this. Think, the host had issued two invitations, right? There was, there was the invitation that had been given months before, like, hey, on July 23rd, I'm going to have a dinner at 7 p.m. And then there's a second invitation that comes around the day of that's just a confirmation. Hey, you're coming tonight, right? That's what the servant's doing. And it's clear that these people had said yes to the first invitation. Otherwise, the servant wouldn't have come by their houses, it's clear that these people had all said, sure, I'm coming. And then the day comes and they're like, yeah, right. See, here's a question for the Pharisees. Can they see themselves Can they see themselves as the rude guests? Can they see themselves as the rude guests at this, at this party? And, you know, these are the social elite of Israel. These are the muckety-mucks. These are the people who are up there. And yet... You know, they don't like the folly of Jesus' ways. You know, they don't want to follow him. Sure, have him over for dinner, but he's not one of us, really. What about you? What about you? See, can you find yourself in the story? Are you like the Pharisees, the rude guests? See, you've been invited. This This is true for so many people. You know, we hear... we. Maybe, maybe you're here because of this. You've, you've heard and you've, you said, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm down with the Christian thing. You know, this is, seems to be a good life philosophy that's working for me. Or, you know, this sort of makes a little bit of sense to my life for this stage. Let's see how this goes. You know, you might be on with the basics of the faith. But when push comes to shove, are you really in? Are you really in? See... You know, the confirmation comes and you say, do you really, the question is, do you really want to be a dog? Do you really want to be a dog? When I was in middle school, my mom loves to tell this story again. My mom, when I was in middle school, we went to the mall, which was the epicenter of the social life of Kingsport, Tennessee, my small town. Right? I mean, it is Friday night. It is the place to be because it's actually the only place to be. And, you know, you go to the mall, and I was in seventh grade, and I was on the math team. 
And that was, I think, the year that I wore short sleeve shirts all winter long because I thought they looked good. You know, I was not a cool kid. And yet we're at the mall, and I'm eating. We go to the mall, and it's Friday night, and I am just completely like, do my parents have any clue? Because we show up there, and I see all kinds of people I know from school. And we're walking through the mall, and I walk about four or five feet behind my parents. My mom loves to retell this story. You know, we get to the the, uh, pizza place, and I sit at another table. Oh, my gosh. You know, my mom is really upset by all this. And what was I doing? I was saying, I don't want to be, I, I want to be with you, but not really. You know, I'm not really with you people. And we do this with Jesus all the time. See, there are lots of us who will say, I'm into this Jesus thing as long as it sort of is working out toward my larger picture goals of my life. You know, as long as, hey, you know, if, as long as being with Jesus sort of seems to solve some of my problems, I'm with him. But the moment that Jesus' values, the moment that Jesus' rules begin to conflict with what I want. Wait, Jesus, you're not into me making money as much as I would like to be. Or, Jesus, you want to limit the circle of people out of which I can marry? You want to say, hey, those need to be other Christians who are other people who love Jesus and are really walking with him? See, once those that rub comes, once that push comes to shove, that's when you know, are you really with him or not? Are you really into this? Or are you sort of into this as long as it works out? Because you're still saying, I'm in control. I'm in charge here, and Jesus, as long as you are a little bit of value added to my plans for my life, then I'm good with you. But the day that that's over, I don't know. I don't know. See, when you ask the question, is obeying the Bible practical to me right now, you already are there. And you need to beware. Listen to this parable. Listen to this parable. Is Jesus cramping your style? You know, one of the things about Jesus that's really hard, is he's so wonderbred. He's so hamburger helper. Right? I mean, we want to make Jesus sophisticated. We want to be intelligent, kind of thoughtful, self-aware people, and we want Jesus to be sort of to fit in with that, and he's so wonderbred. You know, it's not cool. It is not cool for you to say, there's an authority in my life, there's a king in my life, and obeying him means that I look foolish. I'm going to look hamburger helper. I look wonder bread. See, he's so unsophisticated. He's so unattractive. And that's why these people are saying, you know, up to a point, but after that, <laughs> not, not so much. To do this, to be with Jesus, you have to be willing to say, I am a dog. You know, See what the master says, you guys won't come to my party? I'm going to invite other people. You know, um, in 1990, the Boston Globe ran this story about a, a jilted bride. And here, here's the backdrop of the story. Um, it's a, a, a woman and her fiancé had arranged to have their wedding reception at the Hyatt Hotel, downtown Boston. They paid $13,000 for this reception, which was a lot more money back in 20 years ago than it is today. So it may not sound like much to you, but that's a lot of money back then. So they paid for this wedding reception. And in the end, right, right before the wedding, the groom gets cold feet. And he's like, I'm not, I, I can't go through with this. And the bride is furious. And she goes to the Hyatt and says, I need to cancel my reservation. And they're like, no, sorry, your money's down. Like, 
we, it's a no-refund policy. So she's like, what am I going to do? I've got this reservation, all this food, and it turns out that this woman had been homeless 10 years prior. And she decides, she says, I'm going to throw a party. And she sends invitations to every homeless shelter in Boston, every, any, any kind of house of refuge. And she, sends, she also goes to the Hyatt and she changes the menu. She changes it to, to boneless chicken in honor of the groom, she says. And um, so she, she, she throws this party and the, the Boston Globe covers this in June 1990. And, and they, they said, like they looked and they said, Some, this summer night, people who were used to eating out of garbage cans dined on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to elderly vagrants propped up by crutches and walkers. Bag ladies and drug addicts took a knife off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. Isn't that a picture of the, the party that Jesus is throwing, he's talking about? But in the middle of the, in, in the parable, the servant begins to catch on to what's going on. These guests are saying, you know, I'm not coming to your party. And that their desire is, actually, they've been colluding together. They're all sitting at the cool table going, ha, ha, let's make this guy look bad. And the master has two choices at this. The news comes to him that his guests are trying to humiliate him socially. And he has a choice of what to do with his anger. And he takes his anger and he channels it into grace. And he says, here's what you're going to do. Go out and find those people who are the lame and the blind and the crippled and bring them in. Compel them to come that my house may be filled. The master knows that these strangers won't even know how to respond to this. So he tells them, look, you know, I know this is a nobleman party. Poor and downtrodden coming to this. You're going to have to compel them. You're going to have to urge them to come. Only a couple weeks ago, uh, Barack Obama came to the school that two of my kids go to. And he came and spoke. And what was funny about this is that he came on a Tuesday, but the Thursday before, the principal didn't even know that he was coming. And so when she gets news of this, she thought it was a joke. She's like, oh, yeah, Obama coming to our school on Tuesday. Right. See, On first exposure, that's how grace should sound to us. This invitation for me? Really? I mean, it should sound like the Boston Globe party. You know, I'm being invited to a wedding reception. Right. Yeah, you're you're including me in this, right? You, You know who I am, right? That's how these guests would have heard it. They would have had to have been compelled. The master would have would say, you know, look, do everything you can. If you've got to carry them here, grab them by the hand and compel them to come. Because these people would have been so undone, so confused by grace. You know, this is how the good news comes to us. You might hear these words from Hebrews. You should have the same kind of reaction. Hebrews Two says this, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. He's talking about Jesus. Both the one who makes men holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy, us in here, are of the same family, 
So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Do you hear that? Jesus became a dog for the dogs. Jesus became a dog for the dogs. Jesus was humiliated. He was the king. You see, we're people who are dogs who act like kings. Jesus was the king who became a dog. One writer, commentator Alec Moyer writes this. He says, Jesus turned his back voluntarily, deliberately, and decisively upon all that belonged to personal glory and that conduced to personal gain. He recognized no limit to the extent to which his obedience to God and self-humbling must go. Wherever he found himself to be expendable, he spent. When anything was too was left that could be poured forth, he poured it forth. Nothing was too small for him to give or too great. See, Jesus is the king who becomes a dog so that the dogs might be invited with him. Jesus' self-emptying of this is beyond comprehension. The, the depths of his humility and that he could open a feast for dogs, people like us. How do you know? How do you know who you are in this story? Well, what's helpful about this story is that it actually comes with a couple of diagnostic tests to say this, am I the Pharisee? Am I the first group of guests? Or do I see myself as the unworthy recipient of an invitation to party like none other? Do I see myself as exalted or humble? And this is how you know. There are two things, two tests, two diagnostics you can run on your engine. First is this. How do you view other dogs? See, remember the beginning of the story Arlene read from verses 1 through 7 about the setting and the backdrop of what's going on here. Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner. And there's a setup. Remember? There's a setup. There's a guy there who's got dropsy. Probably most of you do not know what dropsy is. I didn't either. It's a condition called edema, which is, it's actually a... um, a swelling in parts of the body that's produced by disease, a disease of the heart or the kidneys or the liver. And there's this bloating. There's this, there's this parts of your body become totally filled with fluid. And so this man is disfigured, right? He's grotesque. He comes to the party and he's, he's, he's bloated. And he's got this condition. And they're like, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? The dropsy makes this man awkward and painful. His life, awkward and painful. But, you know, what was the big deal about this man to Jesus? It was, not, it, it was not just that they were inhospitable to him. Right? The Pharisees at the party are not just like, not only are they inhospitable to him, they actually are using him. They're setting him up. They're using him as just a, as a prop. See what Jesus is going to do. And so Jesus responds to him and he says, look, what about you? You know, on the Sabbath day, which was the big issue at the time, they're like, wouldn't you have compassion on your son or your oxen? Wouldn't you go pull it out of a hole? Of course I want to heal this man. Because he's a person. Some other translations actually have this as, wouldn't you pull out a donkey or an oxen? In other words, look, you don't even treat animals as bad as you treat this person. By your actions, you say, this guy is a dog. 
We have nothing to do with dogs. See, Jesus is unmasking our pride. Do you know what pride is? In Colossians 2, it describes, Paul writes about being puffed up, being inflated in our egos, being swollen. You know, an ego that's way bigger than what it should be. What is he describing? Dropsy. Spiritual dropsy. This is what pride looks like. Puffed up. Oversized. See, this is how you know whether you have spiritual dropsy. How do you view other people around you? How do you look at them? Let me tell you, I find this incredibly convicting personally. I find this incredibly convicting. How do you see other Christians? How do you see other Christians? Particularly those who are from other backgrounds or other churches. You know, do we think of ourselves as superior or better? Do we talk about them in ways that lower them down? You know, I think one of the most unattractive character traits among Christians is disdain for other Christians. And it's hard not to feel this. You know, like other Christians do things and say things that are trite or are just kind of embarrassing or are biblically wrong. It's the response in our, in my own heart. I confess this very personally. My own heart that says, dog party. You know, so unattractive. And it's more than unattractive. When we, when we're prideful, and let me tell you, for those of us who are from a Presbyterian reformed background like this church, we are particularly Incredibly guilty of this. We're so sophisticated. But Jesus is not afraid to call these guys brothers. And so we, this is where we need to wrestle. See, our arrogance is not just unattractive. It shows that we don't understand the gospel. That Jesus' work in our lives, his becoming a dog for, for us who are dogs, has not really taken hold in the depths it should. That we're like, you know, dog party. In Colossians 4, Paul warns the church not to be puffed up. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you act like you, had, like you earned it? Why do you act like you merited it? I'm going to take the lead as your pastor and repenting of spiritual arrogance. It's one of the signs that we don't get the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. You know, do I recognize my own dog-like complexion in the faces of others? Do I say, Jesus, you're not ashamed to call them brothers, and I shouldn't be either. Second test. Second test here. You see what happens in the story. Jesus turns the guests into hosts. When Jesus talks to the host at the banquet that he was invited to, he says, look, hey, when you throw a party, when you throw a party, you know, go and call. Invite all kinds of other people to the party. People who don't, aren't worthy of it. See, Jesus turns guests into hosts. See, Jesus word uses the same word 12 times in this passage. And it's not immediately visible in, the way, in your translation. It's the word call. Call. Call the lame. Call the blind. Call those who are in the highways and byways. Call the people who are way outside. Call them in. Compel them if it's necessary. Call them in. 
How do you know if you're a Pharisee? How do you know if you're a Pharisee or a man with a dropsy? If you're the first kind of guest at the party or the second? Here's the answer. And it's, again, deeply convicting to me. Are you calling? Are you calling other dogs to the party? Are you calling others? Do you invite others to what Jesus has given us? See, you're only going to do this if you know two things. You're only going to be compelled to call people if you know, one, what kind of a master this is at this party. That he loves dogs. That he loves dogs so much that he would become one. And two, that you're also a dog. Then and only then will you say, man, this is good news for everybody. Now, let me be very practical with this. A lot of Christians have sort of bought into this idea that if we live a life apart, a life of distinctiveness, that somehow that is great, and that's what God has called us to. And I would say, yes, but not. Yes, but not enough. Because if the world looks around and says, oh, you know, this person lives a life of distinctiveness. This person's life is different in some way. Do you know what they think? Do you know what they say? They don't say, my, what a great savior. They say, my, what a great person. See, it's impossible for them to be able to connect the dots. Why is it that you live generously? Why is it that you give away things? Why is it that you love people who are dogs? If you don't open your mouth and explain, people assume it's because you're morally superior. You're a better person. This is why, in the language of the Bible, living a life that proclaims Christ is never just with your actions. People love the like, I'm going to preach the gospel with my actions, and if necessary, open my mouth. That is flatly unbiblical. Because the Bible always calls us to proclaim. To say, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done in my life. And if if you don't do that, people will look at you and say, man, what a great person. And the truth is that that just feeds our ego. It just makes you forget that you're a dog. It pulls you further away from joy in the party that God is throwing you. It pulls you further away from the reason that you are saved to begin with. Who are you in the story? You know, are you the Pharisee or are you the man with dropsy? Are you the first guests who say, yeah, but no? Or the second guests who say, I can't believe I'm getting an invitation to this? Here's how the gospel has to work in our lives. You know, on your web browser, you have to continually refresh a page. If you leave a page open all day long and don't hit the refresh button or don't have it on automatic refresh, you know, it, 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 it times out, right? And the gospel has a way of doing that in our hearts. The gospel times out. And what happens is it's so easy. It's almost like this for a dog to turn into a Pharisee. Do you know how fast, how fast and imperceptible it is in a person's life for them to go from saying, I'm so thankful to grace, to smugly in their heart saying, that person, what a dog. It happens like this. Grace has to be continually refreshed in us. You have to continually be hitting the refresh button. You have to continually be saying, Yeah, I've forgotten. Forgotten how much I need this. I've forgotten how low Jesus stooped to call me to be to say, I am your brother. You know, look, if we're going to be effective as a church, if we're going to be effective as a church, 
If we're going to have any spiritual integrity at all, we have to be free to admit, I'm a dog. We have to be a church that embraces dogs, that embraces our dogness, that says, this is where Jesus meets us. This matters. You know, if we're going to be effective in our community, we have to be honest with other people about who we are and who we're associated with. Jesus, you're so wonder bread, but you know what? Jesus is my hope. Jesus is so hamburger helper, but yes, that's who I'm with. That's why I care about things. That's why I live a life apart. If we're going to be effective at all, if we're going to be a church that matters with any significance at all, you know, we have to continue to hit the refresh button of the gospel in our lives and say, yes, this is true. This is what my Savior has done for me. This is why I need it. Because otherwise, we turn into Pharisees. And this world doesn't need another Pharisee church. Jesus is not ashamed to be one of us. Let's not be ashamed of him or his people. Look what happens at the end of this parable Jesus tells. See, there's this dialogue going on. It's like you're watching a play, and the characters are interacting with each other, and suddenly one of them comes and walks off the stage. And in verse 24, Jesus suddenly starts speaking southern, right? His, his you pronoun becomes y'all. And it's clear he's not, it's not the master of the feast addressing the servant anymore. It's Jesus saying, you. He's saying, he's looking at the audience and saying, you. I don't want you to miss out. Don't miss out on the dog party. Don't miss out. See, this is not just a story for Pharisees. Do you remember? Some of you have been around the church for a while who've heard these stories over and over again. It's like, you know, they're on autopilot. You kind of like glaze over. But you may not remember this. At the Last Supper, Jesus' last night of his life, he's with his disciples. He's in the upper room. They're about to take the Lord's Supper for the first time. They're at the Passover. Jesus is about to take that and say, this is me. I'm about to be broken and poured out. And you know what they're doing? They're having an argument. Who's, who's the greatest at the table? See, this is a warning for Christians. That should be a warning for us. We are, we are only a moment's distance away from spiritual dropsy in our lives. It's, this is such a silent killer of Christians. This is such a joy robber. This is such a momentum killer in churches. Spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. Here's one I want to tell you in conclusion, my friends. Listen to the warning of the great banquet. Can we put the dog party slide up here again? I don't want you to miss this. This will be a party like none other. And I can't promise people being shot out of cannons or jumping on trampolines. But there will be lots of eating of cake. And there will be no propriety. There will be no don't touch that. There will be no you're using the wrong fork. There will be joy like none other. Freedom, wild, raucous joy in this party. The invitation is, don't you hear Don't you want to be a part? It's a party for dogs. But it's a party for dogs. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.